Brother Glenn. Thank you, choir, for blessing me, ministering to me. There is nothing sweeter than knowing we're going home and we're going home soon. Amen. I don't know about you, but all you got to do is start looking around you and you see prophecies fulfilling everywhere. One of these days, now listen to me, one of these days, the clouds are going to roll back as a scroll and the Son of God is going to start descending. And guess what? We're going home. Hallelujah. Woo! I can't wait. I can't wait to see Him. I can't wait to hear Him. I can't wait to look upon Him who died for me, who was pierced for me, who gave His precious blood for me, the One who made me whole, the One who gives me a purpose and a reason to keep on going. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Oh, our God is good. Amen. And he's coming, and he's coming soon. Contrary to what some people may say, they may say, well, I learned this and I learned that. Let me tell you, stick with the Bible. The Bible will never leave you wrong. Stay with it now. Stay with it because I'm telling you, in the news, you're going to see things that try to bring down Christianity. You're going to see things that say Christianity isn't right. And the closer and closer we get to the return of the Son of God, the more and more pressure Christianity is going to feel. But I want to remind you that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. I want to remind you that you are an undefeated, unbeaten Christian, blood-bought, redeemed by Jesus Christ. And there's nothing this world can have that can conquer you because we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And if He is for us, who can be against us? Who our God is good. Well, stand your Bibles with you. Turn to me, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. Gospel of John, chapter 7. We look at a message called, Your Own House. I don't need keys, though. How this message, Your Own House, might lead you to think about building your own house. Well, I'm going to be honest with you this morning. You already have your own house. And I'm not talking physically. I'm not talking physically. Now, some of us rent houses, and some of us uh, buy houses, and some of us are still paying houses. Anything like me and Betsy, we'll be in a mortgage probably until Jesus comes back. Amen. That's okay. Because you can't take it with you. I'm getting a new home. I'm getting a mansion over the hilltop. Amen. I am going to be with him. But you know, that's not important. What's important, though, is you do have your own house right now. You do. You have your own house. That is your way of thinking, your mindset of what you think about Jesus Christ. Look at me, please, in John chapter 7. Let's begin in verse 45. The Bible says, then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But the crowd that does not know the law is perfect. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man according to wisdom and those who they answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. And everyone went to his own house. Let's go to the Lord and pray, shall we? Father God, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. And Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is quick and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts down into our hearts. It cuts down into our thoughts, Lord. It is a revealer. 
Then, of course, that would go through six more days, and then finally on the eighth day, the great day, they would get again for Korah, and they would read again, and, of course, they would do that same celebration where he would go, a, a Levite would go, and he would go down to the pool of Siloam, and he would get more waters, and he would come back up, and the high priest and the Levite would pour the water and the wine on the altar. Now, it's burning, and it's going constantly. Smoke would come up, and the scent that would come out of the water and the wine was incredible. They would go down and flush out this altar, and they would begin rejoicing. It's at this time that Jesus stands up and says, I am the living water. And if any of you are thirsty, let them drink of me now freely. And out of sudden, they begin debating amongst themselves. This must be the prophet. That's what we're talking about. This must be the Messiah. No one else could say those things. Well, as you probably know from reading in John chapter 7, as we just read, the Pharisees are going to commission some officers. You guys need to go out and meet the rest. We need to go out and grab him. Well, if we pick up in our reading, they return. And they are, of course, empty handed. They are dispatched from the temple officials to arrest Jesus. And those officers return empty handed. They report to the Pharisees that, and I love what they say here, never a man spoke as he did. Never a man. Could you imagine what it would be like to hear the Son of God speaking, preaching, declaring, I am the waters of life. And if you're thirsty, come and drink of me. If you're hurting, come and be healed. If you're captive, come and be free. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Could you imagine hearing that? What they must have felt like. What they must have sounded like. They returned. They returned to the Pharisees. And look, this Jesus guy right up here today is our Pharisee. Could you imagine? Return to him. And there he's like, hey, where's the prisoner? And they're like, no one ever spoke like that. No one ever talked like that. I never heard someone say the things he's saying. Could you imagine what they must have heard? They report that to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees report, huh? are you also a Galilee? Oh, my goodness, guy. Do you believe in Him as well? Do you see any of us believing in Him? And stands there already building their own house. Enter now a man that we all know named Nicodemus. You know Nicodemus from John chapter 3. It's the most famous verse in Christian thought. It's the most famous verse, in, I believe, in the world. Nicodemus. Nicodemus, where he is told by Jesus that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. We quote it all the time. Sometimes we take it out of context, but we do. We quote it all the time. You go to a basketball game, you can't see somebody holding a sign up there. John 16 is great. Go to a football game, and there's chances that somebody will be holding a sign up to get you to the catch. John 16 is good. Nowadays, it's fashionable for the athletes to put it under their eyes, like, or to write it on the sleeves or on the helmet. John 16. For God, so love the world. It was that Nicodemus that Jesus said those words. He realized that Nicodemus had an encounter with the living God. He had an encounter with Jesus. And that's kind of what we're focusing on, what I believe the author of the Gospel of John, John, what focusing on. Nicodemus had an encounter with Jesus. 
Later on, you're going to have that count that would be between the God line. It's going to change the whole way. And it's going to be And that's really kind of what I want to put on you this morning. Because some of you have had an encounter with Jesus many times in your life. You've heard him preach. You've heard him talk. You've seen him do things in people's lives. You know what he can do in your life. And a lot like Nicodemus, you may stand up to Jesus. It's not really there. Well, John makes sure to remind us Nicodemus has already had an encounter with Jesus. In fact, he tells us, the same Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night. He tells us that. He tells us that for a reason. So there's absolutely positively no confusion. Just in case he's excused, I don't know about you, but I haven't met a lot of people named Nicodemus. So I guess that means amen in a Baptist church. Not a lot of people named Nicodemus. And when you meet, meet someone named Nicodemus, they usually introduce themselves as belonging well, here. Very seldom do you find someone say, call me Demas, bro. Very seldom does that happen. But, just in case there was ever some confusion, John tells us the same Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night. You know, in John chapter 3, the same one. In fact, he says something amazing. He says, Does our law, does our law allow us to judge someone before we give him? And that's when they turn their venom now on Nicodemus and say, Art thou also of Galilee? In other words, are you claiming to be something that you're not? See, what they're trying to say is Jesus isn't what he says he is. Nicodemus is going to learn something. Huh? And finally, verse 53, we get to our focus verse, if you want to call it that. Everyone went his own path. Everyone went to his own path. Now, after a debate right there, they each went to their own house. What were they debating? They were debating, guess what? Who Jesus is. And you might have that debate right now in your heart. If you're joining us online this morning, you might be having that debate right now. Is Jesus who he says he is? And you're debating with people. You might be, you might have family members who debate with you all the time. And they say things like, well, the church and Jesus aren't the church that we had way back in the day. And there's a debate. There's a debate. There's a debate. Well, the truth is, now listen to me for a second, because we're going to learn something from Nicodemus. Nicodemus actually kind of calls them out with their own law. He says, and I love Nicodemus for this, he says, hey, does our law allow us to judge a man before we hear him? And they are going to turn their fame upon Nicodemus. But Nicodemus is going to learn something. I think he's saying one of those people learn. Number one, are you ready for this? Are you ready? You cannot convince someone that Jesus is who he says he is by logic. You can't do it. Logic isn't going to bring anybody into a personal relationship with God Almighty. You can't do it. Nicodemus is trying to logic them into, hey, does our law say this? He's trying to reason them with it. He's trying to browbeat them. Now, let's be honest with you for a second. He's trying to say, take a look at the rules and the regulations. I don't know about you, but you need to learn something. If you don't know this, a cheater does not care about rules and regulations. They never have. They never will. That's why here in the state of Texas, we have learned that gun control only makes honest people unarmed. I'm not trying to preach politically. But someone who doesn't believe in the rules or regulations will not follow rules or regulations. Here we had the Pharisees being told their own rules and regulations, and it did not matter. And if you're trying to rule and regulate somebody into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it isn't going to work. It never will. It never has. And it sure won't do it tomorrow. 
when you limit somebody on what they can and can't do, they're going to say, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to be there. Some of you actually believe those homeowners associations years ago. Then it'll be a better life. Ten years later, you're like, I can't wait to get out. I can't wait to get out of that. Rules and regulations don't make you free. They make you burden. They make you burden. Nicodemus is going to Howard trying to convince him, hey, Jesus is somebody amazing. Jesus is somebody. Because I don't believe Jesus, uh, Nicodemus is quite where he should be at the moment. This is just my personal thoughts, though. But I, I believe Nicodemus is kind of just on the cusp of becoming a Christian. He's right there. He's wavering back and forth. Should I believe in him? Should I not believe him? Is he the one that's promised to be the Messiah? I don't know. The words he said to me, I can echo what those guards said. I never heard a man speak like that. I never heard anybody say those things. And then of course, as he tries to bring his testimony to the rest of the Pharisees, he brings that rules and regulations. Can I be honest with you? How many people here in this church today would think we can make more Christians by saying, hey, read our Constitution. Read our faith and message. It wouldn't bring anybody to Christ. They'd be like, well, that's pretty neat. Glad you guys are holy. I'll see you later. Our focus is supposed to be where? On Jesus Christ. Nicodemus' focus wasn't quite there, though. It was more on, let me call out what they're doing wrong, and therefore, perhaps they'll understand Jesus is right. Is it going to work? Here's Nicodemus. He brings out this message to the Pharisees. He says, guys, does our law allow us to judge someone before we hear them? In other words, what he's saying is, don't judge unless you judge in the exact same way. That's exactly what he's saying there. They're going to turn around and say, are you also a Galilee? You're not understanding the situation, is what they're going to say to Nicodemus. Situations dictate whether or not we obey rules and regulations. Have you ever met somebody like that? Situations dictate whether or not we obey rules and regulations. Does that describe you this morning? Has it described you? Is it reaching out to you? Are you online saying, I believe in rules and regulations so long as they're in certain situations? Well, let me tell you something. Situations are always different, and that's why rules and regulations are always different. You could be in a debate right now about Jesus. You could be in a debate with somebody. You could be debating right now in your heart whether Jesus is the Savior, whether Jesus is God, whether you need to believe, and you're going to get up and go to your own house, whether you like it or not. And that's what we're talking about this morning, is going to our own house. Now, after a debate, these Pharisees here each went to their own house, and that's what we need to focus on this morning. They all went to their own house. Does that describe you this morning? Can you sit there and listen to debates, listen to teachings, look at the Bible, look at what God has to say, and turn around and say, I'm going to my own house. You ever met somebody like that before? Does that describe you right now? Do you know anybody like that? I know several people like that. Be hit with the Bible right in the face. Now, Nicodemus had no problem giving them the Word of God. That is the Word of God. Did it, did it change them? No, it didn't. How come it didn't change them? Because they felt like the situation could dictate whether or not they believed in rules and regulations. But each one of them went to their own house. I'm not supposed to speak for that. I've often wondered why is it there, and I'm going to be honest with you, I can't really answer why it's there. They each went to their own house. I used to think when I was a young Christian, they all just got up and went to their own house. And I used to think, boy, there's some preaching in there about 
rich people. There's some preaching in there about people who have plenty. There's some preaching in there about people who don't know where their goodness came from. And there they are standing in front of God. But I really think the picture that we have here is that if you can hear Jesus Christ speak, if you can hear the Word of God, if you can be proven without a doubt that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and still get up and go back to your own house, you've got to make it fun. Pastor, I've debated about Jesus, but now I'm going back to my own house. Or maybe in my own house, I'll make my own decisions. Huh? Well, let's talk about house today. Let's look with you. Please, in Matthew chapter 7, let's take a look at verse 24 to 27 here. Some of you know this verse right here. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now back to your own house, what's it built on? What's it built on? Is it built on your own logic? Is it built on your own understanding? Is it built on anything other than the words of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus tells us himself, if it's built on anything but his word, upon his saying, then it's going to fall. There's going to be a storm. Now, we need to remember that, though. There's going to be a storm. There's going to be uh, clashes of lightning, clashes of thunder. There's going to be rain. There's going to be wind. And incidentally, I don't know about you, but I, I love Matthew 17. You get to build your house on the sand. In my mind, you get to build your house on the beach. Somebody say amen. I love it for that, right? In my mind, I, you built it on the beach. And let me tell you, if you build it on the beach and wonder why the sand is getting eroded from underneath you, you already have a major problem. And you just think about this for a second. You are building your own house right now. You are. You are. You're building your own house. Your house of denial or your house of acceptance house of belief or your house of unbelief. You get to go back to your own house. But I need you to understand what the Word of God says there. I'm going to be honest with you. I can't convince you. Your mom can't convince you. Your uncle can't convince you. No one can convince you, especially using logic. Let me prove to you that Jesus is Christ. That's not going to convince you. The only thing that's going to convince you is when you hear the Word of God. When He speaks to you, you're going to come back and say, never did I hear someone speak like that. Now look with me in Psalm 127 verse 1. The Bible says, uh, now this is a song of Solomon here. This is a song of ascent. They actually would sing the song going up into the temple. That's what it means. Walking up the steps into the temple. They were praising God. And this is what they would sing here. Unless the Lord buildeth the house, they labor in vain. Who build it? Are you hearing me this morning? If you are building your own house and God is not the one doing it, then you're laboring in vain and you might as well not be building anything. Because like the scripture says, it's going to fall when the wind comes. However, that's not what we're going to finish up this morning. That's not what we're going to close in on. You get to go to your own house. It's going to be chosen this morning. I want you to turn with me, please, to Psalm 23. Now, I love Psalm 23. It's often used in funerals, and unfortunately, I have preached more than my share of funerals. Most people want to hear that very soothing verse. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. They want that. It's beautiful. And there it is. But it's 
21st Psalm isn't a lot about death, even though we hear that phrase, to the valley of the shadow of death. It's not really about dying. It's about meeting with fear face to face. It's about meeting with scared you face to face, knowing that God is with you no matter how bad it may seem. Now, as a Christian, though, you're going to realize that your house isn't yours anymore. Your house belongs to Jesus. Your house is going to start becoming the Lord's in it then, therefore becomes the Lord's. Are you hearing me this morning? Are you following me? Does that make sense? If it's God's house, then what's in it also belongs to God. Can I get an amen on that? Therefore, what happens in God's house should be about God. What's said here should be about God. And things of that nature right there. Psalm 23, though, we get a picture of somebody who ends up learning about the house of the Lord. Take a look here with me in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So you memorized this verse before. I shall not want. Now I want to go through this just quickly now with you. Please understand that in the Old Testament we get a very strong picture of the Lord being our shepherd. In the New Testament we get a very strong picture of Jesus becoming the Lamb. Are you seeing the difference here? Okay. Now we have the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean for a believer this morning? I am so glad you asked because you get to choose this morning on whose house you're going to. You want to go back to your own house or you want to start going to the Lord's house? Because when you get into the Lord's house, things are going to be different. Things are going to change. Let's take a look now at what David discovers. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean for a believer? That doesn't mean that you won't ever look out saying, I wish I had a million dollars. Because you will. That doesn't mean, wow, I wish I was six foot tall. Because you will. Especially if you're five foot six like me. That doesn't mean you won't look in the mirror and say, man, I wish I could lose 40 pounds, because you will. And the older you get, guess what? The harder it is to lose. Well, you can say amen. In a Baptist church, then. What we get, though, is the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean? That means, listen to me now, that the Lord provides everything that His people need. Do you need fellowship? God's people provide fellowship. Do you need compassion? God's People provide compassion. Understand what David is saying here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He didn't write this when he was the king of Israel. He wrote this while he was sitting in the field as a shepherd. And he began looking at his sheep all around him, trusting in him to provide protection, to provide food, to provide direction, to take them safely where they needed to go. And David began to understand the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. I'm not going to want to know where I need to go. All I got to do is follow Jesus. I'm not going to want for water. He provides it. I'm not going to want for food. He provides it. I'm not going to want for protection. He provides it. Understand what David is saying here. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Is he your shepherd this morning? Because if he is, you shall not want. The Bible goes on to say, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Understand what David is saying there. The shepherd takes us where we need to be. The shepherd takes us to the green pastures where we will thrive, not where we starve. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. Now, I love that particular verse right there. He makes you lie down in green pastures. What is that all about there? Well, let me be honest with you. What is David talking about here? He finds the pasture that is enemy free. He finds the pasture that doesn't have a wolf in it. He finds the pasture that doesn't have a lion in it, a bear in it, a false prophet in it, a snake in it, 
He finds green pastures for His sheep, His people, His children shall not want. Amen? The Bible goes on to say He leads me beside the still water. What is so important about that? Not to waste a lot of time on I mean, What is so important about still waters? And some of you know a little bit about sheep. We do raise sheep here in Central Texas. So let me tell you a little bit about why that's so important. Well, number one, sheep are grown for a couple of reasons. Number one is for the milk. They, we, we get their milk and we make, you know, uh, cheese out of it. We make a few other things out of it. Uh, let me tell you right now, I haven't had uh, sheep milk, goat milk in Germany. You don't want to eat your breakfast cereal with it. However, however, there are people who do that, right? They're, they're, they're for their milk. The second thing they're for is their meat. Barbecued goat is a delicacy. Somebody say amen. Some of you know what I'm talking about. For goat tacos are amazing. I'm telling you right now, it's much better than horse tacos. Once had horse when I was in Mexico. I remember that. We went down on a mission trip. And as we were down in Matamoros, there was a guy that came with a push cart uh, and a bell. He would ring that bell and he was, he was selling tamales. And the guys that were with me, they took a look at me and they said, don't go eat that. That was immediately the word for me to say, I made my own house, right? I'm going to go eat that. So when they weren't looking, I walked over there and I busted out a dollar bill, which got me about six or seven of those tamales. And I ate what I thought was the greatest tamales in the world. And finally, they came up to me and said, did you eat those tamales? I said, yeah. They said, did you ask them what kind of tamales you were? I said, no. They said, you need to find out why he doesn't have a horse. So we, <laughs> we walked back over to him and they said, what kind of tamales are those? And he said, tomato. Horse. I had eaten some horse. I was like, <laughs> they were really good, though. But I can tell you right now, goat tacos taste a lot better. Sheep tacos taste a lot better. You ever had lamb chops before? They're an amazing piece of meat there. So you got two reasons why sheep are important, right? And why there's something that we would go after. One, they provide milk. Two, they provide meat. Three, though, they provide wool. Wool. A lot of our clothing are made out of wool. And that's what makes the sheep so valuable. They will let the sheep wool grow. And that's why it was important to take them to still water. Because you went down to the running water, you'd get down in it to get a drink, and his wool would start filling up the water like a sponge. And next thing you know, you get too heavy to move. And he'd be in the water, and the water would just roll him away. Or if it was deeper, he couldn't swim, and he'd start to drown in it. And that's why it's important, listen to me now, that David says he leads me beside the still waters. God doesn't take us to running waters to sweep us wet. God takes us to deep, cool, still waters where we grow, where we get our thirst fed, where we get ourselves right with God. Verse 3, though, he restores my soul. Can I ask you a question, Christian? Do you feel like this moment right now you've been out of God's will? Do you feel like you've been out of God's plan, out of God's house, away from God's people? I want you to know God restores soul. He's in the soul restoring business. Do you feel a little bit lifeless? Do you feel a little bit loveless? Do you feel like you're not right with God? Get right with God this morning. He restores my soul. King David wrote this. He restores my soul. He leadeth me, the Bible says, in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. Please understand, it's not for your sake. It's not for what makes you look good. It's for His name's sake. Now, I need you to understand something about Israel. I need you to understand something about this. When the Jewish people would be blessed, they were given a special blessing called the Aharonic blessing, the Aaron blessing, right? And he would, you know, quite well, this now may the Lord bless you, and the Lord cause the face to shine upon you. You know that blessing quite well. 
and they would do it with special hands right there. The high priest, the Kohen Haggadol, would do this. Uh, but with that being said, they would bless them in the name of the Lord. They would say, now may the Lord bless you. May the name of the Lord be with you. May God cause His face to shine upon you. And they would do it in the name of the Lord. So you understand, when God tells Aaron how to bless His people, He says, put my name on them. Put my name on them. So look with me again here in verse 3. He restores my soul and He leads me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. If you have Jesus in your heart, then you've got the name of God living in you. You've got the Son of God living in you. You've got the Spirit of God living in you. And He leads His children now pathways of righteousness for His name's sake. If you will trust in God, He will take you where you need to go. I understand you may feel a little soulless. I understand you may feel a little loveless. You may feel like, you know what, you ever woke up on the wrong side of the bed? There should be a lot of amens this morning. You ever woke up, you ever been married more than five years? <laughs> I got a big amen on that. He restores my soul. You know, God is in the business of bringing joy back into joyless people. God's in the business of putting love back into loveless people. He can fix broken marriages. Are you hearing me this morning? He can bring you back into a right relationship with Him. Why? For His name's sake. Because His name is in you. His name is in you. Now, we're still talking about building houses. All the little Pharisees went back to their own house. What kind of house do you think they lived in? It doesn't matter how big and expensive and how rich it may be. What matters is they built they did. They built their own logic, their own understanding. They built everything. You don't understand what the Bible says about that? Anybody ever read Proverbs chapter 3? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not, what? On your own understanding. You ever tried leaning on your own understanding? Have you seen the picture of a guy falling off a ladder? That's me when I lean on my own understanding. I'm the one who falls. God doesn't fall. I do. Here's the picture, though. He is in the soul restoring business. And when you build your house on your own understanding and the way you think it should be done, it's really built on sand, and it's going to fall. It's going to collapse. And the Bible says great will be that collapse of it. However, if you'll trust in Jesus and let him do the house building, then he'll lead you to the path of righteousness. So here, let me take it here, verse 4, quickly now. Yea, do I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's what talking about there. We love this right here. We love it at when people are in the hospital, when they're sick, when they're dying. And we bring this as a birth recovery. And I think rightfully so. But deep down the side, that's really not what David's talking about. What is David talking about? Some of you know David's childhood around Bethlehem. Some of you know that it was a place that was openly contested. Openly contested by Philistines. They actually captured Bethlehem after David becomes king later on down the road. It's openly contested. There's a constantly a fight there. And there was a place that he would go to with his feet that had a big shadow on it. And a huge big shadow. And inside that shadow was usually where a young shepherd walked and he didn't come back. Why? Because when he walked there, that's where the Philistines were. That's where the, uh, the raiding marauders were. That's where the, the thieves and the bandits were. And he would say, yeah, 
God walked into the valley of the shadow of death and they began to have a nickname for it. That's the valley of the shadow of death. So I walked through there. I won't fear any evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Let's talk a little bit about his rod and staff though. Because we know as a Christian, we're not supposed to be in a fear at all. In fact, our Bible tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. Somebody say amen. Let's talk a little bit about that rod and that staff quickly now. What we're talking about here is the rod of correction. If God is disciplining you, then you need to praise God because you're in a right relationship with God. In fact, the Bible tells us that He disciplines those whom He loves. If you're not being disciplined, ask yourself whose house you're living in. If you aren't being disciplined, find out why. Because I can be honest with you right now, there isn't a one of us here that's 100% right all the time. Not a one of us. And the discipline of the Lord comes, and it comes upon those whom He loves. And if you're not having it, well, you've got a problem there. You've got a major relationship problem. The rod, the rod of correction, the rod of discipline. Understand what it is here. It's a rod that will move you. Now, when I worked in the prison system, I had a rod of correction. It was called a riot baton. And let me tell you, when it came out of its seat, it didn't matter how big and how tough you were. People were like, I'm stopping right now, Sarge. They didn't want to be hit by that thing. When the shepherd's rod would come out, those sheep would stop bleating and start acting straight right away. Let me tell you something, Mom and Dad. Are you ready for this? This may come as a shock, but if you will put the rod of correction back in your household, your children will start behaving again. Come on now. Think about it there for a second. We need to get back to loving our children enough to tell them right from wrong, to discipline them because we love them. We think not disciplining them is showing our love. But deep down inside, if we discipline them, we are showing them love because we love them. We won't let them do anything dumb. I remember a couple of times I did some dumb things with my mom and dad. The rod came out quick. But my mom and dad's rod was usually a belt. But that's how they did that there. And David is talking about your rod of correction. It comforts me. I'm comforted knowing that you will discipline me. I'm comforted knowing that you will correct me. I'm comforted knowing that you are interested in what I'm doing. And you're watching me to make sure I don't go astray. That is the kind of shepherd we have. That's the kind of Savior we have. That's the kind of God we serve. One whose eye is on you. And he never sleeps nor slumbers. Somebody say amen. His rod comforts us. Also staff, though. You ever seen a shepherd's staff? Most of us have that big old crook staff. How I like to describe it is if you go back to old Zion, you might have seen the dawn show. And the dawn would happen, and the person would be seated off the stage, where take a big old shepherd's crook and grab them around the waist and pull them back in. That's what a shepherd's staff is. What would happen is that sheep would start moving away, and the shepherd would give a correction. He would say, Come back home, little lamb. And the lamb would say, like most of us have been a southern Baptist, no, I ain't going. <laughs> nah, I like it better over here. This grass is greener on the other side. You need to understand, remember, he takes us to green pastures now. But we do that. We do that. I like it over here. That grass is brown, and it's dry, and it's crackly. There's snakes uh, shaking their tails over there. I think I'm going to hang out over here. And the shepherd says, don't go there. And the rod of correction comes out. And what do we usually do when the rod of correction comes out? Let me dodge out of the way. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. Do you know what the shepherd does with that shepherd's staff? 
he reaches around the middle of that lamb and he pulls that lamb back. Now, the bad news is what happens to that lamb when he gets back. Can I ask you a question? Do you need to be pulled back this morning? Have you been making your own house on your own logic, trying to debate people with your own feelings, your own thoughts? You don't need that. All you need is Jesus Christ. You're wrong. You can't say something. Look at me in verse 5. Now prepare the table before me in the presence of my enemies. Here, right there, with that scripture, we probably have. Lots of veterans. We probably have active duty soldiers. But I can tell you right now, not a one of them could ever give a story like this. I went to combat. And while I was in combat, the captain came out and said, We're going to build a table in the middle of the fire pipe. You guys are going to sit down and eat. And we're going to build a perimeter around it. And it doesn't matter what's going on around it. You're going to eat that dinner. Say, that's not theologically sound. That's not strategically sound. Do you understand what God is saying here? I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You can watch your enemies with your eyes as you eat and drink on the goodness of God. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Could you imagine what that would be like? That would be like going into Nazi Germany, right into Berlin, right in front of the Wolf's Lair, where Adolf Hitler was headquartered, and building a table in front of them, one that's laden with feast, one that's laden with all kinds of drinks, and standing up in front of them saying, you can't hurt me and you can't touch me. And when they come out, everything goes around them. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There is no fear, says David. There is no fear when God is with me. When God's your shepherd, there's nothing to be afraid of. Can I ask you a question? What kind of house are you building? What kind of house are you building? David goes on saying, you anoint my head with oil. Now we know what that's all about. Get your head anointed with oil. That's one thing that we do here at Rock Academy Baptist. I do anoint with oil. I don't pour it on people's heads anymore. Don't praise God. The reason why is because they usually tell me I took a week to shampoo it out. But I will anoint you with oil. The Bible says, My cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. God gives us to the fool and more. He's got so much for you that your cup runs over. But really and honestly, the whole reason why we went to Psalm 22 is to verse 6. Verse 6, not really to get into the Lord is my shepherd picture there, but for verse 6. Look at this here. Surely goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in about this morning about a house. You get to go to your own house. What house are you going to be? Are you going to choose the Lord's house? Or are you going to choose your own house? Are you going to be like the Pharisee who said, you can't win me to Jesus? You can't rule and regulate me to Jesus? You can't convict me to Jesus? You can't convince me of Jesus? I will go to my own house. Does that describe you this morning? Then if so, you need to look at verse 6. Please look at verse 6 of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, as Christians, we've learned something. We've learned something, and it's a painful lesson. Are you ready for this? The painful lesson is, is sometimes bad things happen to good people. But David says, I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am going to God's house, not my own house. I've abandoned that old house, and now I'm living in God's house. So listen to what he says in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Pardon me? Follow me. Follow me. That means it's coming later. 
That means that when you get to where you're going, goodness and mercy will come later. Can I ask you a question? Are you a Christian right now, but you've been expecting God to do something in your life right now? And that's one of the reasons why now you say, I'm going back to my own house. I need you to understand the verse 6. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. We know now, and so do you, that God has a plan for each and every one of us. If you're a Christian, you know that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. But you also realize that on that journey, bad things happen. Sometimes you meet people who don't like you very much. Sometimes you meet people who hate you. Sometimes you meet people who do bad things to you. They steal from you. They curse you out. They lie about you. You understand you meet bad people in this world. But you need to figure out something real quick. This is David did. David understood it. David finally got a hold of it. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And that's what we need to grab a hold of as Christians today. Today, it is a temptation to preach. To become a Christian, all your life troubles and worries are over. It's a temptation to say, if you want Jesus, then all you have to do is start tithing, and God will make you rich. That's a lie from the pit of hell right there. You realize that that is what we call the health and wealth gospel. Come to Jesus and everything will be A-OK. No, you need to understand. Come to Jesus and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. What does that mean? Surely, goodness and mercy will follow you. Are you ready for this? As a Christian, you have somewhere to go. In fact, you're supposed to be following the good shepherd. You're supposed to be going to his house. Like David says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You're supposed to be following Jesus to the house of God. And wherever you go, he's going to stop. And sometimes we stop in green pastures. Sometimes we stop in still waters. Sometimes we keep on moving. And he corrects us. Or he has to take his shepherd's staff and pull us back onto the path. The point is this, though, is we're on a journey. And while on that journey, bad things do happen to us. But one of these days now, are you ready? One of these days, we're going to get into his house. And when we're there, we're going to find out as we're sitting waiting around, What's coming next? I love this verse. I love each and every thought of it. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I want you to get the picture of somebody who's been on a very long journey. A journey that was full of peril. A journey that was full of trials, tribulations, temptations, persecutions. A journey that was trying. He ran out of food. He ran out of water. He ran out of protection. He ran out of strength. He barely makes it in. And when he gets in, he flops down on the ground. And as he's there, he starts saying, when, when's the good things going to happen? This is not you this morning. You've been a Christian for 15, 20 years. Then when are the good things going to happen to me? Well, you need to go back to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You need to understand the picture. David is saying that. David says, we're going to go to the house of the Lord. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But guess what's coming behind me? Goodness and mercy. Now, I want to take you back to your childhood for just a second. And I love doing that. I love childhood because it makes me smile. I, I have a decent childhood. I love it. It makes me laugh. It makes me smile. Do you remember being in the line in grade school? Anybody remember that? Remember when you had to hold your, the, the other person's hand? Anybody remember that? Anybody remember put a pair in a square and catch a bubble and things like that? Y'all remember that? Well, what happened when one of those kids came to a sudden stop? The whole line ran smack dab into you. As a Christian, God's going to bring you to His house. Listen to me now. He's going to bring you to where you need to be. And one of these days, goodness and mercy is going to 
bump right into you and knock you over. And you're going to realize that God has had good things for you always from the beginning. All you got to do is get to the house of the Lord and start waiting. God is in control. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's coming. And when he gets to me, it's going to bowl me over. Goodness. What is the goodness of God? What is the goodness of God? You know what the goodness of God is? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is the mercy of God? Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Goodness and mercy. The cross. The goodness of Jesus Christ. And when you catch a hold of it, it will change you. That's what changed Nicodemus. That's what changed Nicodemus. When he, he meets Jesus first in John 3. You know the story. He meets a lie. He says, hey, I love you. All you got to do is believe. And Nicodemus, like the rest of us, is like, that ain't going to win me like that. You're not going to convince me. I'm not an easy target. <laughs> so later on, he actually good. He drops his own message. And he says, in John 7, you got a law. Allow us to judge a man without being a And it reminds him, out there also of Galilee, in other words, are you another crazy prophet? And later on, there's another encounter with Nicodemus. You know it quite well. Nicodemus, chapter 3, Joseph Arimathea. Joseph Arimathea goes and prays the body. The Bible tells us about Nicodemus bringing spices. Anoint the body of Jesus. Could you imagine what it would be like to be looking into your face for the one who shared the part of your sins? God so loved the world. Now look at the lifeless crown and see those cold, dead hands that perhaps to go up with Joseph of Arimathea on that cross and the rip those hands off of those six-inch barbs they drove through his hands and through his feet to take that crown of thorns off of his precious head, to look into those lifeless eyes, to look at those hands that once held nails and wood, now being held by nails and wood, to pick him up and to drape him over your shoulder and to feel him cold and lifeless and dead and to begin walking down and to wrap him in the linen cloth and to begin anointing him, saying, Surely, goodness and mercy... I am a Christian, but as you said earlier, I've been kind of building my own house. 
Can you abandon that house now and get back to following God? Get back to saying, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Get back to saying, Surely, the goodness you love will come. So run right into the house. Practically happy. I am a Christian. I am right with God. I need to take home. I need that fellowship that you talk about. Can you really come close? Be a part of what? Your word is Christian. It is powerful. It is something we need to be able to I pray right now that you come into our hearts and into our lives. There's going to be anyone who needs to come to know you. Anyone who needs to get their heart right with you. Anyone who needs to be a part of what's happening. Would you let today be that day? Would you give the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' holy name? Would you come with me and sing? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Come on. Come on, like Nicodemus. See who he is. He's the Savior. He's the sacrifice. Come on.
ahead and say your name for everybody. This is Luke, the heart of the heart of Jesus. Luke, for a couple of weeks now, when you come this morning, he said, I need to put Jesus in my heart. He's been spending time with our youth minister, Brother Darius, and Brother Darius has come to, to let you know a little bit about where he's at in Jesus. Pray for him and support him in that decision to say amen. Make sure you come by and hug his neck. Sit in it. Just come and ask my Jesus to come forward, please. Go ahead, be seated, please, sir.
still get better. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, it's been my privilege and my tradition over 30 years of ministry to conclude every little couple of service for the singing of the hymn. The hymn that I'm so grateful to a part of. I've been so grateful to God to allow me to sing. Jesus loves me. Just I know. I'm not sure about it, but Brother Glenn, as you represent me, our closing prayer, it'll be our closing song as we sing. Jesus loves me. Just I know.